0: you know, if Godzilla were here, he could take these guys no problem.
1: Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers that know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and my favorite fantasy is the twelfth final one.
0: I'm Jason, and I'm the dominant of 2007's Def Jam icon.
2: I'm Jackson, and I love main character Chris Redfield.
1: Final Fantasy 16 is here, and it takes the series in a bold new direction. Long gone are the tactical turn-based battles of yesterday, in their place are bold, chaotic fights between gods and their chosen warriors. Is this the future of Final Fantasy, or is this just a stumbling block in a storied series? Let's get into it. And this is where the music will start to, to pick up. Another game boosted by the gaming media. You know why? Because they're afraid that if they don't give good review to Sony, they won't get review codes, and Sony will not let them get their hands on the game early. So listen carefully. Here is a non-biased review from a person not afraid of Sony. One, this is not optimized well. Falls below 30 FPS during battle. Then like a maraca shake between each one. (laughs)
0: battles are too easy fingers.
1: you only need two buttons to kill bosses three story is messy and weird four rated m for clout <laughs> nothing mature about this game number five only good thing is that the main character looks good <laughs> number six side characters are meh if I'm going to rate this, this is like a game trying hard to be Xenoblade Chronicles, but failed miserably. <laughs> disappointed with Square Enix for this game, and disappointed to the biased media.
0: <laughs> well, that's <laughs> me. us. That's us.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was a review from Metacritic, where only the most profound authors <laughs> bring their wisdom. <laughs> uh, Who? I, I almost I almost want to scrap all of the notes we have for this episode and just go by this guy's review point by point. <laughs> um yeah. So we're talking about Final Fantasy sixteen. This is uh a probably like the single biggest game series probably worldwide. I know it's not like as huge in the US as some other places, but still like Final Fantasy. That's, like, one of the big names in gaming. This is definitely
0: the game that has the biggest number next to it that I've played.
1: It's true. Unless,
0: uh, well, Cyberpunk
1: 2077. (laughs) Yeah. They got me there. Redemption 2. Yeah, But the difference is you've played most of, like, the numbered Final Fantasy games, and you haven't played the first 2076 Cyberpunks. That's true. I've
0: only played a little bit of
2: 2020.
1: So, I guess let's talk a little bit about what we've played of the Final Fantasy series. Uh, Jackson, you kick us off.
2: Well, uh, I have beat one Final Fantasy VII... 7. <laughs> Wait. I have beat one Final Fantasy game, and it was the one we reviewed for this podcast, Final Fantasy 7. I have played, like, 10 hours of Final Fantasy 15, and this game makes me want to go play more of it. Um, but that's that's where that ends. The Final that's Fantasy. All, that's all there is.
1: The only one you've beaten is Final Fantasy Seven Two Part One. <laughs> Jason, what about you?
0: Um, I think I've probably had a hand on the first half of them, or maybe the first six, uh, <laughs> and then I've liked all the ones from fourteen onwards. Because <laughs> uh, I remember I definitely beat Final Fantasy One, and then I started Final Fantasy Two II and Three and i've at least looked at and like played a few hours of 4 5 and 6. Uh and then i hmm. i mostly skipped
2: over a lot of the middle ones. You play Stranger of Paradise?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i said i played Final Fantasy 1. Uh i mean i played Final Fantasy 7 for the podcast obviously. Uh and i guess bits and pieces of like 10 and 12 and i hated 13. <laughs> um but i i remember you talked up 13 a lot like when it was new
2: yeah and i tried it because i was like
0: oh i have to like (laughs) games my older brother likes and then i did not like it i've only played maybe like three hours of final fantasy 13 just because like i Mm. i cannot get into that combat
1: (laughs) it is definitely like the weirdest combat i've ever played in the game i still stand by it's a lot better than people made it out to be but that's also not saying much because people despise that game yeah (laughs)
0: And then I uh, I played the base game of fourteen. I've played I guess maybe half of fifteen multiple times, yeah. and let me tell you, <laughs> the first half of Final Fantasy fifteen is my favorite Final Fantasy game.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And then I played this one.
1: Yeah. Which
0: I uh, you know I'm most of the way through it. I would say at least a good three quarters. Uh, but how about you?
1: If I had to pick one game series to exclusively play forever, it would definitely be Final Fantasy. And not just because there's a ton of them, because there are, like, an egregious number of them. Like, there's almost a hundred of them if you count all the spin offs and sequels and, like, different versions of games. Like, there are so many Final Fantasy games. But I would still say, at least as far as the numbered ones go, they're all pretty dang good. Like, 13 is a low point, and I would still say that's, like, a 7 out of 10. Like... I really really love Final Fantasy like I would say that Final Fantasy 10 and 12 are both in like my top 10 favorite games of all time um, 12 is a serious contender for like the number one spot uh, so I really love Final Fantasy um, and I think that I was definitely the one of us that was the most excited about this game because um, I talked multiple times about how it was like one of my most anticipated games of the year and uh, it's something <laughs> um, I'm not disappointed. I'm confused, but I'm not disappointed. Yeah, Uh I'm also
0: confused, but I will say one thing about the game. This is maybe the most MMO a non-MMO has ever been.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting because I would say that's true, but this is also the least Final Fantasy a Final Fantasy's ever been. And those don't sound like ideas that should be able to both exist at the same time. So let's set up a little bit about what Final Fantasy 16 is. Like I said before, it's a big departure from what Final Fantasy has been in the past. I mean, 15 was already away from the turn base and the strategy part of it and was into this like real-time action game, but it was still a little more controlled. It was a game that was a lot about what you did to prepare for a battle as much as what you were doing during it. And then like... This game completely forgoes all of that, and this is like just an action game. <laughs> You're hacking and slashing and doing crazy abilities, and there's lots of particle effects all over the place. And this is just uh, this is this is a character action game, like to the letter. Like this is the genre. This is no longer an RPG.
0: Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. <laughs> We've definitely yeah. come a long way since Final Fantasy One.
1: For sure. <laughs> for sure. Jackson, I know you don't really love turn-based games in general. Are there like any that you've played a lot of in the past, even if they're outside of the Final Fantasy series?
2: Just Pokemon. Fair enough. Just, it's I mean, it's just that Pokemon that is like the of. exception.
0: I mean, everybody that says they hate turn-based games, they've at least played a Pokemon game.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I definitely have tried some other turn-based games, but not any that I can remember i think that's a good sign that i didn't like them
1: (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's a genre that's kind of it's still out there for sure like there are still good and like big turn-based rpgs but they're not a dime a dozen like they were 20 years ago like at ps2 and before there were turn-based games left and right and like now the only like really big, critically acclaimed one I can think of of the last several years is Dragon Quest XI. Like, there are others for sure, but they're all ones that have, like, a spin to them, or they're, like, a turn-based RPG and something else, or whatever. Like, the original Final Fantasy model barely exists today. And ironically, the one series it still exists in is made by the same developers. So, like...
0: Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, because Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest were not originally by the same developers. (laughs) Right like that was it's one not. of those things where they both ended up under the same hat during the big Square Enix merger which only happened right. in like 2003
1: <laughs> yeah it's also interesting because in Japan where both of the original developers you know came from like Dragon Quest was beating Final Fantasy left and right i mean like there were there were legitimately like it was a problem when a new Dragon Quest game would come out at one point there were there were companies in Japan that would like just make the day a Dragon Quest game coming out a holiday because they knew so many people were going to call in to play Dragon Quest. So like the shift from that being a genre of game people are obsessed with to what we have today makes it feel like this change to Final Fantasy's formula should have been obvious like we should have seen it coming but like I'm still so confused by this game (laughs) though.
0: I think this one's weird, and I, I don't necessarily agree with it like, shift away from being an RPG, period, because, I mean, like, the game still has numbers that go up, you know, you still yeah. level up and get better over time, but I really feel like fifteen was a sweet spot in terms of, like, having RPG mechanics, but also having that focus on being, like, an action RPG, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought Final Fantasy VII did a great job at that.
0: I think Final Fantasy VII does the exact same thing this game does. Uh, I would say the only thing that really puts seven above sixteen is the fact that you can slot your materia. Generally, if you liked the RPG mechanics, the itemization of Final Fantasy VII remake, you're probably going to be happy with sixteen because it's almost one for one in a lot of ways.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. disprove that. Okay.
1: Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah.
2: Floor's yours. <laughs> yeah. I like Final Fantasy VII a lot. I only like some of this game. <laughs> well,
1: it doesn't disprove his statement. I mean, like, I personally like this game better than 7R, but I still agree that 7R had better, like, the little bit of uh, RPG stuff it had was better in 7R, but still very similar.
0: Yeah, it's mechanically, like, exactly the same. You only have, like, two stats that really matter, which are HP and damage, and then everything else. I mean, like I said, 7 has slotting materia, which is a big thing. This game doesn't really have anything like that. You have, you know, your three item slots and then your three accessory slots.
1: And that's it. I actually don't think that's inherently a bad thing. Like, I think limited inventory is actually good for what this game is. But it has totally gotten rid of, like, the significant choice. Like, if you go back and play older Final Fantasies or really any RPG, you know, you're going to have a bunch of different ways you can build out a character, different stuff you can prioritize, you know, different ways that you can – different ways you can make that character who they are. Mm. In this game, Clive is a very established character in terms of personality, in terms of abilities. Like, you don't have a lot of control over – how this character functions and also he's the only one at your disposal whereas almost every other final fantasy game you've had a, a party of characters
0: you know now that i think about it this one probably does give you more options than seven because while seven has like the slotting materia this game has your you know your three icon loadouts that you have going at any given time that you can mix and match abilities between once you get enough points into that ability but i i feel like 15 was really a sweet spot though to and it's mostly because it was just as simple in terms of like your items and accessories that you could equip. But it also had the whole thing where you had four different weapon loadouts that you could have, as well as mm-hmm. after the DLC came out, you were able to switch between your different party members, which they all played at least a little bit differently.
1: Yeah, fifteen, I didn't love the combat, but I did really like its general progression and the the fact that like you improved from everything you you got better from combat from doing story missions even from just like exploring and camping and fishing like like all this stuff sort of bled together to be your character and your progression systems and all that stuff whereas everything about this game is linear it's it's narrative it's character progression all of its gear upgrades and all that like they all just move in one direction which is bigger number <laughs> um, which that's not to but, say it's necessarily
0: a bad thing i mean i no, think that no. the combat in final fantasy 16 is miles better than what you have in final fantasy 15 i think For sure. the story is at least on par
1: <laughs> yeah i would argue it's better but more predictable than 15 but we can we can definitely get into the specifics of that. <laughs> so
0: yeah, that's kind of our um, our view from uh, a million miles up, and also talking <laughs> yeah. about the RPG mechanics for some for some weird reason. Just decided to yeah. slot that in right at the beginning of the podcast. But I guess we could probably get into things a little bit more granularly and kind of talk about the different things as they come up.
1: (laughs) So uh, let's kind of hone in on that story because like, I do think it kind of takes a backseat in this game compared to its combat, but it's how we start every other review. So we got to do it here too. Um, I guess i will just start by opening it up. Um, Jackson, how'd you feel about the story of this game? It
2: takes a while to kick off. I think the first eight hours are incredibly boring and I did not care for the story at all during that. And I think there's a, like a certain point right after that where you find out some big information. And I'm like, OK, yeah, now this could actually be interesting. And then uh, then it's not again for a little. And then it has another big dump of information. It's like, oh, so this could be interesting. And I'm waiting to see what happens next.
1: <laughs> it ebbs and flows, I guess you could say. <laughs> you know, Jordan,
0: you had like a, a little bit of a write up you were doing of kind of like the basics of the story you want to go through that before we give our opinions because I have some opinions but I feel like they need a little bit of groundwork laid first
1: that's that's probably fair this is something I've been like kind of stressed about with this episode because like this game's plot is dense and it is very hard to even talk about like significant story events without having a lot of information here so I'll I'll do a briefer version than I originally wrote out because it was quickly turning into a book report on this game, but uh, basically this game takes place in the world of uh, Valisthea. I don't I don't know I've actually heard that said in the game, but that's it's what it's called.
0: Valisthea. Uh,
1: Valisthea. Valisthea. Yeah, that sounds right. But basically, it's this giant continent where it everyone's at war and. The main way that these different kingdoms within this continent are fighting is they have these really powerful people called dominants. Um, dominants are chosen by these demigods called icons. The icons uh, give their dominant special powers like dominion over a certain type of magic and also the ability to turn into the icon. So, important piece of information here if you're familiar with Final Fantasy, the icons are the same creatures that are called like aeons in final fantasy 10 or summons in most of the final fantasy games and that's your like big giant monsters like bahamut shiva ifrit, ifrit. jeez i'm never going to get used to saying that right <laughs> um but basically there's a world where all these powerful creatures have chosen these dominants and they're fighting with each other and your character clive was passed over to become a dominant and instead his brother became a dominant that leads to some weird familial stuff. His kingdom gets into some trouble. And now Clive, with the help of a few of his other friends who are also dominance or dominant, got dominant type powers like Clive. It's a, it's a whole thing about whether or not Clive is a dominant. <laughs> but anyways, Clive and a bunch of his other super powerful friends decide that they're going to destroy these giant crystals, which are sort of the motivation for the whole war. And they're sort of the engine for this whole conflict that's happening yeah the the
0: crystals are basically what allow people to use magic in this world
1: right and basically clive and his crew have decided that one way to put an end to the conflict is to put an end to the magic so they they've set out to do just that and that's sort of the big crux of the game now as jackson mentioned it has some dry spells in the beginning. Because you don't even find out that that is the conflict of the game until about 12 hours in. Like, this game takes some time to get going.
2: And I do not like that.
1: See, I think it starts off fantastic. Like, I think the first couple of hours of this game are, like, perfect. And then it kind of slows down for a little too long after that. But once you get back to that point where you you finally know what the conflict is, you know how you're going to go about making it happen, you finally have a lot of your powers at your disposal... Clive kind of, like, steps into his own character. Like, I think from that point, it's great. But it just takes a little too long to get there in hindsight.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, minor spoiler, but the game has two separate time jumps in it. Uh, And Jordan and I both agree that from a story perspective, from a gameplay perspective, and from just a character perspective of, like, who Clive is... Uh, It doesn't really get going until the last one,
1: (laughs) right? Which, which isn't like super far
0: into the game,
1: but right, maybe a third of the way in is my guess.
2: Yeah,
0: it's a bit of a slog to get there, and I think that you know once you are there, it really picks up in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, it's especially a slog because some of the some of the missions they have you do in the story in that beginning section just downright are bad. There are so many missions in the beginning which just like. Go talk to this person. They're going to give you a thing, and then you're going to take this thing to another person. (laughs) Now do this five times for five hours.
0: Yeah, and that's something I was kind of hinting at earlier when I said it was very MMO structured. And this is kind of... If I had to say this is my biggest complaint about the game... Well, for context, the game is directed by Yoshi P., uh, I don't remember his real name. I just remember what everyone calls him, Yoshi P. He's the same guy that is the director of Final Fantasy XIV, I believe. Final Fantasy XIV being the big MMO that came out uh, nearly a decade ago at this point. You can tell it's the same director. Because yeah. the story structure is exactly the same in this game as it was in Final Fantasy XIV. Because you'll have these like big, bombastic fun and interesting like dungeons that you go through where like all the story happens and there's like a giant fight with a huge boss at the end. And then you'll have a couple of hours of what I like to call a screwing around time where <laughs> you're doing yeah. stuff that is maybe tangentially related to the main plot. Definitely stuff that in the real world, your character would be too busy to be doing
1: <laughs> for sure.
0: Uh, And it lasts for, Far too long, and it it really just serves to kind of slow down the pace of the game between those big bombastic dungeons, which are a huge highlight in this game, the best part of the game by far.
1: For sure. So basically, anytime you go into a story mission, it'll be one of two icons on the map. One is like your whole crew's like logo or whatever, and that just means it's like an anything quest. And like those can be good. Like there are still good quests outside of the dungeons. But they're definitely more in, like, the granular uh, checking on a certain character, fetch quest, bring an item to this person. Like, they're those kinds of quests. But then sometimes you'll be going to a quest, and instead of that logo, it'll be two swords crossed. And any time that I saw those two swords crossed, I was just like, yes, this is about to get really good. <laughs> um, because that's how you know it's, like, one of the big linear dungeons. And those are really cool. Yeah. They're really cool stylistically. The fights are incredible. They have really really good bosses. Like everything about those missions is fantastic. If this game was just those missions and then cutscenes between them, this game would be a 10 out of 10. <laughs> but
0: and it's a shame because like those missions are so good, but the other missions between them really pull it down. And I don't just mean like yeah. it's MMO like in kind of the story structure. Like, when you're doing those either side quests or the less important main quest, it feels like an MMO side quest where it's just, go here and get this item. And there might not even be any combat in that. (laughs) Or it'll be like, okay, go talk to these three people. For some reason, it's it's almost always three separate people.
1: (laughs) I'm going to give you, I'm going to give an example here that will really sum up the problem that this game has. This game's biggest issue and about about how it just doesn't make good use of your time. So there is a boss fight um, or like a big dungeon that leads to this big boss fight against this antagonist that's been showing up throughout the game. You have this really cool like city siege with fights breaking out left and right. And there's, you know, soldiers of two different military fighting each other as you're progressing. Like it's this big bombastic scene that's really exciting. Ends with this huge boss fight against this antagonist that you've been clashing with the entire time. Great mission from start to finish. And then, as soon as you're done with this, you get back to the base, and a new character's introduced, and that character's like, I need some materials that I'm out of. Can you go get them? And uh, your character, as the leader of a small militia of like rebels, should have been like, I'll delegate that. And instead... <laughs> spends the next hour and a half going to gather like special types of metal and some dirt at one point yeah and just like like it's like fo- it's like four or five missions in a row of literal fetch quests like ju- like not even go fight an enemy to get an item it's literally just go to this part of the map where this type of thing is common and bring me back some of its dirt. And you do that for an hour and a half on the tail end of just an incredible mission. And then you spend that hour and a half doing that. And then another incredible mission, like another huge fight with all these crazy powerful beings and all this sci-fi stuff. Like, it's, it's such cool stuff. And in the middle is the most tedious and unnecessary garbage.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it sounds like something that comes up in every video game. But the difference in this game is how often they come up, how long they last, and how incredibly boring they are. Right. It's like, we're not saying that there can't be ebbs and flows to a story, because, like, a good story is told (laughs) kind of in cycles like that, where you need, like, a moment to catch your breath and take a break. Uh, The problem is that the moments where you're catching your breath and taking a break are almost as long as the the peaks of the story (laughs) you know like your your huge icon uh, yeah iconic boss fights and stuff like that
1: it's really weird because i think every game today especially with this need for games to be long for people to feel like they're a good investment or whatever every game has some level of padding it feels like stuff that just wasn't necessary but they needed to put in there to make the game longer the problem with this game is that the padding is not only unnecessary It's actively hurting the game. Like, if you just took out that hour and a half chunk between one major story mission and another major story mission, the game would be better for it. Like you don't have to replace it with anything. Mm. Like that those like four or five missions could just straight up be gone. And then there's just like a cutscene that explains there's like a couple of weeks time jump. And then you go into the next one. Like the game would be better if there was nothing.
0: It's kind of funny. Cause I I wanna compare it to Final Fantasy XV, where the downtime between missions was the highlight of the game. Like, I think some of the most fun I had in Final Fantasy XV was doing like the random bounties that, you know, pop up at all of the different restaurants and truck stops and what have you. Yeah. <laughs> or just getting to explore, like, that huge open world. This game has And I'm gonna I'm gonna make this comparison again. It has an MMO world where the world is big and vast and incredibly empty. (laughs) Like the map uh, spans on in the distance for miles sometimes, and and you don't even necessarily have to go there in any of your quests or anything like that. But if you do choose to go there, there's nothing.
2: Yeah, And there's
0: nothing to interact with in the world. Like, when you're in a town, the most you can do is occasionally there'll be a sign you can look at. And Final Fantasy 15 was the same way. But I just feel like as we're kind of moving into, you know, the future of video games, I'd like to see more interesting towns and worlds where I can, like, do something other than the combat. Because in this game, there is nothing to do except combat. Yeah. And it also has the problem that I have in so, so many games. I complained about it with Forspoken, so I I would be remiss not to complain about it here. The game takes away most of your movement options when you're in the town. (laughs) And it just kind of locks you to a light jog. And the the towns in this game are generally too big. And it makes kind of getting around a slog. To the point where I would try to find the most efficient way to do like side missions so I could just turn them in all at once, even though, like, (laughs) there's no loading screens in this game. Like, (laughs) whenever you go from place to place, the most you ever really see is like a few seconds of a black screen. But I don't really recall waiting longer than like five seconds at any given point in this game. But. It's just the movement when you're in town is so slow and so boring and there's nothing to look at and all of the NPCs around just repeat the same lines of dialogue.
1: <laughs> it's also really weird how uninteresting the towns are when this is a game that I think is otherwise like really pretty and has really interesting like geography. Like there's there's interesting stuff to see in the world. Mm-hmm. It's just the towns themselves are very bland. And I don't know why I don't know why there's all these like big fancy ruins and and like big structures and stuff to see out in the world, but then the towns are just like totally flat.
0: Unless you guys have more to say it. I'm done talking about the negatives of this game.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm, no, At least the big I'm ones still not even done. Oh uh, well <laughs> which is really something to say because I, I like this game. I mean I like the, the story behind the world. I think the world itself, bland. I don't, I don't find it interesting walking around and doing stuff. That's part of the reason I haven't done any side quest.
0: Ah, so the thing I just said.
2: I mean, so, most of my negatives are going to be with the combat. Surprise. Really?
0: Yeah, that's interesting because uh, when I was saying I was done with negatives, I meant because we were going to go talk about the combat and I only had positives. <sighs> but I mean, like, I'd really like to hear your opinions on the combat. I mean, if you don't like it, I'm, I'm interested to hear why.
2: I like it sometimes. Sometimes, and surprisingly mostly with boss fights, I do find combat to be all right. Uh, I never think it's this great next level thing that most people seem to think it is, though. I think for the most part it's just ability spam, which is really saying something because I play Destiny.
1: I can definitely see some criticisms of the combat in terms of when you're fighting like a big group of really weak enemies... That it's just ability after ability after ability, and like I, I still like that. Like personally, I enjoy that. But I'm, I'm definitely like not shocked that people feel that way. Um, I do think the boss fights are exceptional. Like I think that every single boss fight looks really cool, feels really cool. They have really interesting attacks and mechanics. Like I think every boss fight has been fantastic so far.
2: I think a lot of the boss fights have been pretty good overall, and not super just spam your abilities unless it's you know like you've staggered them uh because you actually have to you know move around and pay attention to their attack pattern and know when it's the best time to parry or do a counter attack or just evade but I I do think there are still a lot of bosses that it just comes down to spam your abilities or just wait for them to be open specifically there's this there's a dragon that I just fought recently I hated that fight more than any other fight in the game Because it's a dragon that you can't really get close to easily to fight. So you just have to kind of wait for it to be open. And there's a lot of that. And I didn't like that.
0: What I did during that fight was get really close to him.
2: See, every time I would get close to him, I'd be at a spot where my attacks would not hit him. Like, hit his hitbox specifically. It'd be looking like they hit him, but they're not actually. Hmm.
0: That's interesting. I didn't run into any issues like that. If I was locked on to like a dragon's head or something like that when I was fighting them, it would be kind of annoying because Clive would go to try to attack their head. But if you just yeah. switch it and lock on to like their leg or something like that, usually clears everything up.
2: Uh, but I think almost all of the regular combat, just against like small groups of enemies, is just spam your abilities, and I don't find it very fun. Like, the abilities are cool, but eventually that coldness wears off because you've used that ability 15 times in one battle, and I it just loses interest very quickly.
0: I mean, I'm one of the few people that I think liked Final Fantasy XV's combat, and I felt like this was just kind of a natural progression of that, with, like, really flashy and constantly teleporting around the battlefield, or... In this game, you also have options, like, pull, you know, picking up the enemies and pulling them to you, or... I guess that's really the big one. You also get, like, a counter block later on. But that doesn't come up super often in fighting small groups. At least not for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I really enjoy the combat in this game. I think it's fun.
1: I basically start every uh, non-boss encounter with, like, the same handful of abilities. And I've done it a thousand times. But I still think it's fun every single
2: time. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's definitely flashy. But I don't think flashy necessarily means it's good. Like, a bag of chips can have cool art- artwork on the bag. It doesn't make them delicious chips.
0: Yeah, but when I open up a bag of Doritos, it's that it's that same good nacho cheese flavor every single time, and I enjoy it the same amount every single time. This is a weird uh, comparison because I don't really like
2: Doritos. Final
1: Fantasy 16, the Doritos of games.
2: <laughs> I want you. To- I would call it the the Talkies of games. Very flashy bag. Uh, the chips are just okay, though.
1: I don't think we could comfortably criticize Takis in a podcast without getting some blowback. I think that's what will get us canceled. Takis fans are wild. (laughs) They go hard for those things. Yeah, I mean, I do think that this game is is a bit too style over substance sometimes, but I've still largely found it compelling enough that I'm I'm still fascinated with it, you know, 25 hours in, and I'm really excited for this final push at the end, because I know I'm getting close. I have mainly been tracking sort of how far i am in the story by how many of the icons i've unlocked um so something we haven't said too explicitly up to this point is clive has a pretty unique ability where if he defeats a dominant in battle or if he is there when a dominant gets defeated in battle he can sort of absorb their dominant abilities Um, he can't become their icon like the other dominants can but he can use that like domain of magic that that dominant has control over And as you're progressing to this game and fighting more of the dominance, you build up your own repertoire of abilities. And, you know, you can have three different dominance equipped and then two abilities for each of those dominance equipped. And each of those dominance has their own like unique move or ability or something. It could be like a movement thing or a crowd control thing or just an attack. But each one has like its own special ability. There are eight of them. I don't even know what all of them are yet.
0: I think there's only seven.
1: Oh, are there? Okay. Basically, it's just there are some normal ones. You get like a fire and a, and an earth and an electric one. Like, you you know, they're all sort of corresponding with certain elements that dictate what their moves are. And they are sort of based on the personality or moves of that particular icon as well. But I my whole metric for how I'm doing in the game and how much I have left is just how many of the icons I have. <laughs> and I think that one of this, this game's strongest factors is just the fact that the icons are very different and you know your your basic attack and magic work the same regardless but what those abilities can do varies a lot between the icons and they also sort of function in different parts of combat like some abilities are just for damage and other are really good at staggering enemies and some are you know tons of damage on a single target and others are aoe attacks and like there's just a lot of ways that the abilities differentiate from one another and it means you can kind of set up different things or you can go all in on one ability or like there's just a lot of ways you can mix and match sort of how you play like the game is still this fast in your face flashy combat regardless of which abilities you're using but you do have quite a few options in terms of how you
2: execute that I do not agree with saying that most of the abilities are pretty different from each other. I think a lot of them are just, this one's blue, or this one's green. Uh, I have found one ability so far that feels different, and it's uh, one that gives you, like, orbs of fire around you that uh, both protect against attacks and do a little bit of damage. I feel like everything else is very similar, though. Different type of flash.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I... Maybe you just haven't been buying upgrades as often, but I think uh, all of the abilities that I have equipped at this point are fairly different. I have one that's like a fire dash where I coat myself in flames and I can dash forward and then it ends with a big explosion. Then I have one that creates like a pillar of fire and it does damage to all the enemies around me. It's it's a huge heavy hitter. Uh, But then I have like some abilities on one of the other icons. Uh one of them does just a lot of hits really quickly and one of them like puts me up in the air and those abilities are special because they do a lot of stagger damage. And then, you know, finally I have my electric abilities on the third icon and one of them is like a spear of electricity around me that can hit enemies, you know, in any direction but it's a relatively small spear. And then I have what I consider to be like my big damage dealing ability, where I throw like a bolt of lightning at a single character. And I feel like all of those abilities are pretty different from each other, as well as the iconic abilities, which are completely different. You know, the fire one teleports you, the wind one pulls enemies towards you, and then the electric one is kind of like a gun that you can lock on and deal chain damage and stuff like that with.
2: Yeah, I will say the iconic feats, that's what those are called. Those are pretty different from each other. But I don't feel like any of the regular abilities are that different.
1: What I would recommend doing, then, is really go all in on the split between damage and stagger. Like, have a couple of abilities that are just for damage, and you just save them for like when, for after enemies are staggered. And then have another set of abilities that are all about staggering that enemy. So, like... I think, it get, I think that if you kind of mix them up in that way, you end up with a pretty good, like, flow of the game. Like, I have these three abilities that I'm going to use as often as I can so I can stagger enemies as much as possible. And then these three abilities I'm going to save until I finally staggered that big enemy so that when they are staggered, I can just lay into them with, like, everything I have. Yeah. Like, th- that was sort of... That's sort of, like, the whole flow of the combat in this game for me that makes it so compelling is this switch between staying on your toes until you can knock down an enemy and then just giving it everything you got as soon as they're knocked down. Like, I find that really exciting. See,
2: I'd be fine with that if it felt like your regular attacks were actually meaningful. Uh, The regular attacks in this game just feel like nothing unless you're fighting, like, a bee. I don't know. I don't
0: necessarily have that issue. I mean, it definitely takes a lot more hits than ability hits, but your abilities are on a cooldown, so it takes a while
1: and the cooldowns are generally pretty short like each icon has four abilities and normally like three of them are like 15 seconds or less and then there's one that's like a minute which is only meant to be used once or twice per fight at most but like i'd say generally speaking the the cooldowns are short enough that it doesn't bother me that the regular sword and like ranged attack don't do a ton of damage on their own um, they're still useful enough that like I feel the need to keep constantly hitting enemies even when everything is on cooldown. But that's such a short period of time that something's back off of cooldown before it you know affects me too much.
0: Yeah, and I feel like the first three icons you get are really strongly weighed towards either dealing damage or stagger. Mm-hmm. Like the, I mean, I'll just kind of say the fire one is mostly about dealing enemy or dealing damage to like groups of enemies you know and the wind one is more about dealing stagger damage to like a big boss enemy whereas the lightning one is I think that's where like most of your damage comes from for the most part at least for me mm-hmm. and I, I think that depending on what abilities you have equipped, maybe it could be a little bit different but I think the game sets you up pretty nicely to have those three different paradigms that you essentially shift into whenever the opportunity arises. I wish that it was deeper because sure, like there's sure. no control over your party members in this game.
2: Um that also bugs me. You have a
0: dog that's with you almost all the time and you can tell it to like attack enemies or you know focus on them at least, but there's no like armor or weapons or abilities, equipment of any kind for any of your party members. A lot of the time you're going without any party members other than the dog. And Honestly, your party members don't do much when you do have them. (laughs) They are significantly weaker than you are. Uh, They'll be good about, like, taking out ads for you, like, you know, the weaker enemies that will join while you're in a boss fight, but kind of boring.
2: I feel like the reason behind that is because they wanted your different icon sets to be serving as your different controllable companions, in a sense.
0: Well, I'm not saying that uh, you need controllable mecha- uh, companions. I'm saying that you have no control over what your partners are doing. And it would yeah. be one thing if, you know, like switching between your different icons, the other icons did something, but all mm-hmm. they do is charge up, uh, you know, abilities.
1: It Like, it would be nice if there was something comparable to Final Fantasy 15, where at the bare minimum, you can pick out some gear for your companions and you can give them like a a general, like, command of focus on this or this or this. Whereas in this game, the closest thing you get is you have a couple options with Torgol, But even then, I don't think that... I never saw any significant changes to how Torgul behaved based on what I was doing, other than, like, right after I gave the command. You know, he'd do a specific attack or switch to healing me for half a second or whatever. See, so, here's
2: yeah. the thing. They're not going to give you... a. Uh any sort of gear for companions because they're not even going to barely give you gear for your own character (laughs) i mean that's fair So,
1: yeah this game as much as i love the combat and i'm still i'm still really into the game as a whole like i am enjoying it even though i know we've been kind of we've been kind of ragging on it from the beginning like i think that the combat of this game still carries it enough for me i think that the combat still could have been as good as it is and still given us more options and more builds and more gear and better ways to like make the character our own like you know it's one thing that there are only two stats on a sword i don't mind that there's only attack and stagger or whatever but the fact that every time you get a new sword it's just better in both stats is kind of annoying yeah
2: like there's also never a difference between a new sword other than the stats are either higher or lower like I I do think it would be nice if
1: there was like you know this this sword uh your charge attacks charge up faster or this one your wind abilities cool down 5% faster or like yeah. just some other component besides just damage because when the when damage is all that matters you're just going to pick whichever one has the highest number which Yeah.
2: Like, there are 3 purple swords. Relatively early on in the game, that are themed against a different element. Like there's a wind one, a fire one, and a lightning one. When I saw that, I thought, oh, so they're probably going to have abilities that affect how each of those elements function. No, they don't. The fire one is just objectively better than the wind one, and the lightning one is just objectively better than the fire one because it has higher damage stats.
0: Yeah. And you have like three accessory slots that you would think mitigate that, but. For some reason, they decided that, you know, like, there are accessories that lower cooldowns or increase damage, but they're all for individual abilities instead of like an icon. There's nothing that's just like, oh, yeah, all of your wind abilities recharge faster. Or, you know, maybe there is later in the game, but I haven't seen anything. Instead, it'll be like, oh, this one particular wind ability will recharge faster. And you might not even have that one equipped, so it's just completely useless for you. And then there are just like significantly more useful accessories that you guessed it
2: just raise the
0: normal stats.
2: Some of the accessories are also um, part of the story mode setting of the game, which is just the like easy mode. And those, uh, they make it, I don't remember what all of them do, but they basically, I know one just makes it to where if you're about to be hitting a by an attack, you automatically evade. Or one that I actually use uh, makes it to where Torgol is always doing something. You don't have to command him, uh, and it's it's stuff like that. So if you're using those because you're playing on the story mode setting or whatever, you just can't use any other lost the word for him. What they call it? Accessory. Jewelry. <laughs> Accessory. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The accessories I ended up running with are. There is a ring you can get that completely changes the way your dodge uh, counterattacks work. There's one that just straight up is a flat increase to the dog's damage. Uh, And then there's one that raises your attack power. And I've yet to find anything that really seemed worth it to move off of those.
2: Yeah, I think there should be more stuff like the first one you mentioned, where it actually, you know, changes stuff instead of raise number.
0: There's also a lot of them that'll just, like, do something for you. And I I, I don't mean, like, (laughs) I don't mean, like, heal you over time or, you know, lower cooldowns. I mean, it'll just straight up hold your charge magic for you. And it's like, well, I can just do that.
1: That one's also not as good as it sounds for other reasons. There's this weird window between it using magic before it will start charging the next one. And if you're just doing it manually, you don't have to wait that long. So That holding
2: one is good if you're playing on a control scheme where you can't press attack and magic at the same time. But I I don't use that. I think
0: we're talking about different accessories because there's one of the easy mode accessories that does something really similar for you where it'll just Hmm. use magic for you.
2: No, I'm talking about one where, uh, like you had mentioned, just will hold your charge magic. Oh, yeah.
1: So there's a really interesting thing this game has done as far as like accessibility and making it to where more people can play it where there are accessories that do just automate some processes. Like, for example, um, there is one that makes it to where before you get hit, the game like comes to a pause for a couple seconds and gives you some extra time to hit the dodge button. And there's one that, you know, basically makes it to where you don't have to button mash as much to do continuous attacks, and things like that. And I think those are really cool. But it's also, they're just listed as regular accessories. They're not actually listed as like an accessibility option. Yeah. And I've seen some really strange things happening with people talking about this game online. Where, like for example, a couple of days after it came out, there was a guy that was like, he posted a video and he was just like, look how brain dead simple this game is. He's like, this is me just mashing square until this big boss died. But then if you actually watch the gameplay, he was clearly using like three of the assist accessories that were just doing stuff for him. It's like, I don't know if both of those things can exist at the same time. You can't use all the accessories that just make things happen automatically and then complain about the game being too button mashy. I just think
0: it's a bad middle ground too, because like you can only have three of those equipped. So if you actually are someone that needs those accessibility options you have to pick and choose.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can't use those and then just the cool accessories you get in the game naturally. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's like so.
0: your character is going to be worse overall because you have those essentially accessibility options
1: turned on. Those should just be in the settings. Like right. let they me should turn be that accessibility on. options. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very strange. I don't I don't know why they went that way. I mean, I think it's good they have those things because they do help people that wouldn't normally be able to play this game and it helps people that You know, love Final Fantasy, but don't necessarily like action games. Like, I I think it's good for those things, but it's just weird they did it in the way they did. So, you know. But everything else about gear in this game is bad, so (laughs) who's too surprised?
0: You know, I feel like one thing we haven't talked about yet are the big iconic battles, which... Yeah. Those are this game's big action set pieces.
1: Yeah, this is where the dominants just straight up turn into their icons, um, and they lead to some of the biggest, flashiest, most over the top fights that I've ever seen in a game. And I think this is one of those things where some people are just gonna hate this because it's very like anime fight style. Like it's these uh, weird over the top moments, and there's some fan servicey stuff in there, but. For me personally, I love the icon fights. I think every single one of them has been really cool so far. So.
0: I like them because of how different they are from the normal gameplay. Like, yeah. You retain a lot of the same similarities with like how you move and the buttons you hit, but your abilities are completely different, the things you can do, uh, and then the numbers are way bigger too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I think that's what makes them so cool besides just like the visual flair is the fact that these are very different, but the framework is still the same. Like, Clive and Ifrit, his, his icon, they still move the same. They still use all the same buttons. Your attacks still function, like your basic attack and magic still function more or less the same way. Like, the, the framework is there. So, like, you can very naturally pick right up when you switch between the two. But then the actual impact of your attacks is very different. Like a Freet attacks are way like they're way wider strikes and hit a way bigger area and do a lot more damage. But they're also like kind of slowed down and you know punchier. And like I think that that change is really really cool. Like I think that the comparison of how Clive and a Freet feel is a, a really interesting change. And I think that they did it in such a smart way because it lets you just dive right into it and get into these huge explosive fights. Whereas I think a lot of games would make these big fights so mechanically different that half of the fight is just getting used to it. (laughs) Whereas this game, it doesn't have that period because it still plays the same as Clive does. It's just that it's exaggerated in every possible way.
0: Yeah. It it feels like (laughs) if you were watching Dragon Ball Z, when they go like Super Saiyan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is Um, that
0: moment where the battle is, it's a lot of really similar stuff happening, but like you can tell it's supposed to be more intense, the music comes in, everything, every attack explodes for some reason. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. The enemies Um, are
0: constantly monologuing or completely silent.
1: The last big story mission I did ended in a really, really cool icon fight where it's, like, two icons teaming up to fight one, like, giant one. And they go to space. Yeah. And there's all these, like, uh, very, like, cliche call-outs before they do their attacks. And there's all these cheesy one-liners of, like, your very Kingdom Hearts, friendship is my power type of things. And all the attacks are these giant explosions and lasers and fire and... And all of it is so dumb and so cheesy and so over the top, but it's so cool. (laughs) Like, the actual execution is so much fun.
0: I think that they're kind of a highlight of the game, just because, you know, they come at the big, tense moments in the story, too. There's always some kind of big resolution at the end of the fight, like a, a, a huge goal has been accomplished, or, you know, a character that you just really hate gets killed or defeated at the end, or it's good stuff. It's it's exactly it's exactly what I would want out of any video game. I love it. I remember I talked about Dragon Ball Z Kakarot a few months ago. Or maybe Yeah, a few months ago on the podcast. Uh and these fights remind me of like the big end of arc fights in that.
2: I feel like I've been extremely negative about this game. And I think a lot of it is fair criticism, but I do still think that it's alright. I don't think it's awful by any means but there's a lot here that if it wasn't for the fact that sometimes the story does actually get pretty interesting i probably would have put it down already because like every now and then there will be a section where there is some really interesting lore expanded on in the game or some weird stuff like that just going on and i'm like this could actually be an interesting subject But then it just spends the next two hours having you do a fetch quest for the main story. And then inside of that, you're running around with a combat system that I don't think is nearly as fleshed out as it could be. Uh, But then you will have those icon battles that are really cool. And you'll have a boss fight that is actually fun. But I just don't think that happens enough. Uh, which is why I only give this game uh, 10 out of 16 Final Fantasies. I think, okay.
0: I think it's a really good game. I Like, I really do. At the end of the day, I think that, you know, like we mentioned, it's a little too MMO-y. <laughs> There's a little bit too much downtime between all of the really big bombastic stuff. If it was just cut down by... You, you know, if there was like 30 minutes... Or an hour between those big scenes, I think it would be one thing, but it, it tends to ramble on for a, a bit longer than I really like. I'm also a bit let down by the party system, like I mentioned. I feel like after, you know, how much of a focus the party was in 15, like you grew to know and love every member of Noctis's crew in that game. And when one of them was gone for a story reason or, you know, another character joined your crew, like you felt it had a tangible effect on how the combat went the abilities that you could use you know like when someone was missing it felt like part of your kit was missing (laughs) this game just doesn't have really anything like that which is pretty disappointing but on the other hand like i think the story in this game is really cool and really fun i think the combat is awesome you know super bombastic I, i like that word a lot it's kind of the one that i've That's my new favorite uh, adjective, is bombastic. (laughs) I realized I've said it a lot recently, and now it's just all I can think about.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a good game for it.
0: I think the combat's awesome. I think the story's awesome. And I think that those weak points kind of keep this game from being incredible, but it's still really good. (laughs) Uh, I would recommend this game to anybody that likes Dragon Ball Z, um, (laughs) just anybody that kind of likes action games in general. I I think that there's something here for just about anyone into action games. (laughs) Uh, The story does get a little melodramatic from time to time, and the politics get a bit too complicated for their own good, Uh, to the point where, like, I don't necessarily know what's going on a lot of the time. (laughs) <laughs> with like the empire and the the republicans and what there's too many words that get thrown at you sometimes that i would need to like sit down and read through a bunch of in-game books to really understand <laughs> but the stuff that like your character actually deals with is really good stuff so i i'll just say i like it a lot jordan what do you think about Final Fantasy sixteen?
1: I think it's pretty neat. <laughs> um, no, I've, I've really enjoyed my time with the game. There are significant, significant flaws, and flaws that I think make zero sense to even be in this game, because it's stuff that would just straight up be better off not included in any capacity. Like, this weird downtime between missions could just not be there. Like, it doesn't need to be anything else. It just shouldn't be there. And, uh a lot of the story stuff is just a little too complicated for its own good sometimes, but I still think like, I like these characters. I like this combat. The story is at least interesting enough to get me through to the next big combat section, which is all I'm super, super concerned with. Anyways, Um, I've, I've sort of had one like way of summing this up that keeps coming to mind. And that's that this is a great 40 hour game. That would be a fantastic 25 hour game. Like, if it just made better use of its time and didn't take it out on the players that it feels like it needs to be a long game, I think it would be fantastic. Like, if this game was those epic story missions with, like, 10 minutes of downtime between them versus an hour, I think it would be exceptional. This would be a 10 out of 10 game. But it just, it does a little too much to waste your time as a player in a way that I don't think is going to be super compelling to anyone, even people that are very forgiving of like fetch quests and stuff. I just, I don't know who some of the downtime stuff in this game is even for. <laughs> so, but all in all, I'm still liking it a lot.
0: I do feel the need to apologize for some of the things that I've said and thought about metal gear solid four, because this game from everything I've read is uh, 35 hours long. Give or take, with 11 hours of cutscenes. <laughs> Nearly a third of the runtime is cutscenes. It's insane. Don't need that much. That was kind of my last thought on it. If I was interrupting <laughs> yeah. you, I, I apologize.
1: Well, that's already a lot of Final Fantasy 16 talk. So I think that means it's time to pull the plug. Jackson. What is something else that you've been into?
2: Oh boy, I get to talk about something that I actually really like now. So, a little over two years ago, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition release. With, you know, all three games, all DLC. Um, and then I played Mass Effect 1 probably within a few weeks of like that. Then a few weeks later, finished Mass Effect 2. Then, about the end of June last that year, started mass effect 3 and now two years later i have finished mass effect 3 you should specify you didn't play it for most of that two years (laughs) yeah i didn't like play it for two years straight um it's not that long no it i think i had a little over 50 hours by the time i beat it i would play it like a lot for like a week and then i wouldn't play it again for a few months And I kept doing that over and over again. That probably happened like three or four times until I finally beat it a few weeks ago. And oh boy, is it such a good game. I definitely get the criticism with the ending because not all the options are... I wouldn't even say most of the options are good options. It's funny.
0: Sorry to interrupt. My game and your game both have the exact same problem with their ending where you just... You finish the game and there's essentially an ending vending machine.
2: <laughs> yeah, you get to the end of the game. It's like, pick which one you want, um, which isn't great. I don't think the ending is as bad as most people seem to think it is. I do find it very strange how each of the three different main endings show the same cinematic, but either with a blue, green or red um like energy field over it. That part's weird.
0: That's how you know it's good or bad. Don't know why that's
2: like... (laughs) Um, Don't know why that part's like that. But uh, overall, Mass Effect 3 is absolutely incredible. Uh, I don't think I'd say it's better than 2. But it's like right up there, like directly below it. It's so good. I don't want to say like a whole lot. Because I still eventually want to do an episode on it. Whenever that finally happens, considering it's been over two years since we did an episode on Mass Effect 2. But, it's incredible. Uh, If you haven't played any of the Mass Effect games, play all three of them. They're all worth it, they're all good. Except anything with the Mako in the first one. Um, Three is really cool though, it's got the whole... uh, Instead of a bad system like the Mako, it's gimmick is the, the war table. Um, which I don't think is what it's actually called, but that's what I'm calling it. Where basically all your actions throughout the game build up basically just a point system for your galactic readiness, which just decides what ending you're going to get. It could have been expanded on a little more, but I think they still do a good bit with it. The interesting thing is in the original... That number was just based on the things you do in 3 and the multiplayer 3. But since they got rid of the multiplayer, your actions in 1 and 2 also affect 3 now. Which I think was a pretty good change. Uh, Because then if you screwed up badly in the first game by accidentally killing an entire starship full of people because you thought it was just 3 people on it, that has consequences now.
0: And once again, I complained about this when we reviewed Mass Effect 1. You guys were not paying enough attention during that cutscene. It was made pretty clear that the entire ship would explode and that it was the largest ship in the entire galaxy.
2: Like, Yeah, for some reason I only thought just the council from the Citadel was on that. That was not true. But Mass Effect 3 is a pretty good ending to the trilogy. Um I think they easily could have left it with that, but they are making a Mass Effect 4 and did already make a Mass Effect Andromeda, but that, from what I understand, is very disconnected from 3.
0: Yeah, it takes place hundreds of years later, but the people in the game left before the events of the first game, so there's no (laughs) ramifications from that at all.
2: (laughs) That's how you get away with the fact that there was uh, multiple endings (laughs) to 3. But yeah, Mass Effect 3, very good. Um... I would definitely say it's up there as one of the best games I've ever played, as well with the entire Mass Effect trilogy. Definitely play it if you haven't. Uh, Jordan, finally go finish two so you can play three and we can review it. Jason, what you got cooking for us?
0: So I decided to go back uh, over the past few months on my Steam Deck, and I've been playing through Deus Ex Human Revolution, um, which is a prequel to the original deus ex Ex games that came out in like the early 2000s i don't know exactly how to describe them i guess they're they're immersive sims with like a lot of rpg elements in them and playing this while playing final fantasy 16 probably served to kind of exacerbate some of my issues with final fantasy 16's rpg systems because deus ex gives you so many options for how you want to play the game Especially, <laughs> I think it's actually at its strongest early on when, you know, every point that you put into a different, uh, augmentation, which are your different abilities in the game, every point actually makes like a tangible difference to how you play either in, you know, letting you hack new computers to go new places or turn invisible so you can sneak past enemies. Or if you're someone other than me, cause I only like playing stealth games and in like stealth essentially. But, you know, there are a lot of options for, like, combat armor and making a big explosion and stuff like that. And I guess what I'm really trying to say is I really like Deus Ex Human Revolution because the game gives you options with how you want to deal with any given situation. and It's so much fun. The game's written really interesting. It's all about this uh, conflict between, you know, people uh, who are getting... They're called augmentations in the game. It's basically like people becoming cyborgs, you know, replacing parts of their body with robotic parts, Uh, and the major focus of the game is the struggle between, like, the morality of whether that's right or (laughs) who should get to make these decisions about, you know, what people can do with their bodies and stuff like that. It's really cool. Really interesting. And if you haven't played it yet, I would highly recommend it. It leads into a sequel, Deus Ex, Mankind Divided, which I think gameplay-wise improves upon a lot of the stuff introduced in Human Revolution, but unfortunately ends on a really serious cliffhanger to the point where uh, I remember when I originally beat Mankind Divided being confused because I didn't know the game was over and then the credits started rolling. (laughs) I think it's the only time I've been like, jump scared by credits because uh, at the end of mankind divided, you don't take out like the main villain or anything like that. You just take out like one of the secondary antagonists and then it, it just fades to black. It's wild. (laughs) Spoiler alert on a 10 year old game, I guess, but I think that everything leading up to that ending is so good that it's almost worth it. But I've been playing on Steam Deck. Uh, Human Revolution at least ran really well on Steam Deck. Mankind Divided is several years newer and a lot fancier looking, and it does not run as well on the Steam Deck. But I'm still able to get it running like uh, around 40 to 50 frames on medium settings. So it's definitely playable. I think-
2: I think uh each time we have an episode we should have a Steam Deck check in where we see how good a new game is running.
0: That would require one of us to buy our games on PC.
2: Well I think he just means talk about any game. Oh, just any game? Yeah, no, no, not not like brand new games, but like just a game we haven't when I say new I mean a game that we haven't talked about how it runs on the Steam Deck yet.
0: Oh. Yeah, in that case, this week
2: we got a new one.
0: Human Revolution, which came out, I believe, in 2009, runs pretty well on the Steam Deck. Mankind Divided, which came out in 2016, runs much
2: worse. (laughs) This has been episode one and two of How Well Do Games Run on the Steam Deck.
0: Yeah, I don't really have too much to say about that, and I imagine it'll be kind of annoying to edit that into something coherent, so have fun, Jordan.
2: (laughs) I've
1: done worse.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Either way, that's about it for me. Jordan, what have you been up to?
1: So I'm back into a game that I get back into constantly, Um, and ironically, it's one we reviewed on this podcast pretty early on, and we were not kind to it at the time. Sorry, wait, Um, I'm
0: just going to also preface this it's also been part of pulling the plug before i think from multiple of us i think i've also done a pulling the plug on this game before
1: (laughs) yeah so the game i'm talking about is mario golf super rush which again is a game we were not kind to in our initial review (laughs) but the fact that it's been my pulling the plug twice now really says something about where it's at now (laughs) um Yeah, every time I go out of town or I'm hanging out with friends or, like, my brother-in-law is also super into it, like, I have basically three groups of friends that any time I see them, we play Mario Golf Super Rush. And it's because this is a game that has the same draw as, like, a Mario Kart or a Mario Party, but it has a much higher skill ceiling, in my opinion. I mean, I guess technically Mario Kart has, like, an outrageous skill ceiling that people are still figuring out, but in terms of how it's regularly played and with items and stuff it's it's kind of at a fixed level whereas like this game I feel like every time I play it I'm really learning new mechanics and I'm getting better at it like in a way I didn't like I thought I was already at the max like within a within like the first couple weeks of playing this game I was already consistently hitting like 12 14 under par and like now I've gotten so I've gotten so good with like In air direction changes and the different uh, types of spin on the ball, and the different tees and the different clubs, like I'm, like I'm so much better than I used to be at a game that I thought I was already pretty good at. (laughs) And every time I play with friends, it's really fun to get someone new into this game because, at its core, it's very simple. I mean, it turns taking a regular shot in golf into a two-button process. Um, but then you add in all these extra mechanics that you could completely ignore if you wanted to and still have fun, but it has this level of complexity that's totally hidden away. And between that and the fact that about six months after launch, when all the DLC came out or was finally out, it was like twice as big of a game as it was at launch. I I just think that there's a lot to really love about this one. I think that people that play the game today for the first time would have a much more positive experience than we did playing the game at launch. And it's not performance-based at all. It's just that there's, like, twice as many courses. There's several extra characters. There's, um, like, a whole nother tier of golf clubs that weren't available originally. And when you're playing with really, really good clubs, it becomes a completely different game. Like, you're doing par fives and two strokes. And but you're also dealing with like crazy control issues and you know the new courses have are way more outrageous layouts and you're dealing with worse weather and it's all kinds of things that sort of shake up the formula but it's just such a fun game especially to play with friends and I still think it kind of lacks a good single player experience but for my friends and I it's like the perfect game to just be playing while we're hanging out and talking about other things or having a drink or whatever like we're just this is a perfect game to like you cannot pay attention to it and then when it's down to the wire you have like a whole group that's just like hyper focused on every shot and I think that that's really fun
2: I think my issue with why I didn't like it is because it's a multi it's a party game that I exclusively played by myself it yeah. is
1: very much a multiplayer game. I have not particularly liked any of my time playing it by myself.
0: The story mode
1: also sucks. It, yeah, it's not great. It's it's like the regular golfing is fine, but it wants you to do a lot of weird almost mini-games, <laughs> and they're just not great. So. If I wanted
2: mini-games, I'd play Mario Party, and I hate Mario Party. We and know. you're
0: wrong for hating it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, but Mario Golf uh, Super Rush—it's—it's it's a lot of fun if you—if you have a group to play it with. I, I definitely recommend checking it out if you're someone that's regularly playing video games with friends, especially for playing with friends that don't play a lot of other video games. Um, like this is one that I have several friends that don't game at all, but still really like playing this. So, could you
0: imagine it's, if Mario Strikers had a turnaround like this?
1: Yeah, no, and. I love the Mario the original Mario Strikers and the new one is just ugh I mean it's fun but I had I had done everything there was to do in single player within like 4 hours like it's crazy how little there was in that game
2: I forgot they made a new one of those
1: Well and this game's also had a lot of DLC but it's meaningless stuff like it's new characters which is cool but it's like new gear which is basically nothing and they've added new courses, but the courses aren't actually different. They're just aesthetically different. Like, it's always just a soccer stadium. So, I, I don't know. Wasn't just... the
0: stadiums before, like, they were always just a mix match of the two, like, team captain stadiums? Or am I thinking of the, one of the older ones?
1: Maybe that's how the one on the Wii was. But, like, this new one, you pick a character and you pick one of, like, several stadiums. And, like, your half of the stadium is that. And then the other player picks the other half. And they, like, meet in the middle. So, like, it doesn't change the actual, like, field you're playing on. But the stadium around it is, like, a totally different aesthetic on one half from the other. So, I don't know. It's all just weird. It it was a lot of fun gameplay-wise, but it had basically no content. And I've never enjoyed playing a nintendo game online <laughs> it's pretty uh,
0: cool that they added bowser jr and burdo as playable characters for taylor swift's birthday last year
1: okay <laughs> what
0: <laughs> i was looking at the update history for the game and december 13th 2022 they added bowser jr and burdo okay <laughs> i can only assume it was a present for taylor swift
1: <sighs> naturally well i think that just about does it for another episode of totally biased Media. If you would like to reach out to us, there are several ways you can do that. First, on Twitter, at TBMCast. Second, on Instagram, at TotallyBiasedMedia. Third, Twitch.tv slash TotallyBiasedMedia, where we try to stream at least once every other week, if not more. Um, We're in the midst of the Year of the Kong, where we've picked up some steam. We're in the middle of Donkey Kong 64, having a good time with that one. Um, Yeah, you should should come check it out. Um, You can also send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. We would love to hear your reviews for some big upcoming games. There's a lot on the horizon. We don't know 100% which games we'll be talking about yet, but there's a handful that we know we're digging into. Starfield, that's an obvious one. Uh, New Super Mario Brothers. Wonder. Mass yeah. Effect
0: 3. Not JK. <laughs> yeah. We're not doing that one.
1: <laughs> yeah. But if there's a new game out and you have strong feelings about it, you should send it to us in an email and we will read it on the podcast. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup.
0: I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias.
1: Thank you, everyone. Goodbye.